Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Modern Money Smart Pod. I'm Sean McMahon, and today I'm coming to you once again from the International Futures Industry Conference in Boca Raton, Florida. Here's a brief recap of what went down today at FIA Boca. The regulatory world took center stage earlier this morning as CFTC Chairman Rostin Benham delivered his keynote address. Benham commented on the seemingly endless onslaught of crises in recent years. The COVID-19 pandemic, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the nickel crisis at the London Metals Exchange, the FTX implosion, and now the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. And amid these crises, Benham said he's proud of the way markets have handled all the related volatility. Not surprisingly, Benham even gave a nod to the role sound regulatory reforms have played in helping markets perform well throughout these crises. When this year's regulatory panel took the stage, Ugo Bassi from the European Commission jumped right into the FTX topic, highlighting how rules that are on the way, perhaps as soon as 2024, might have uncovered the misdeeds at FTX much, much earlier. Commissioner Caroline Pham tackled the debate about whether cryptocurrencies are a commodity or a security by stating that it doesn't really matter, because in either case, the aspects required to maintain market integrity remain the same. And speaking of crypto, the session with the cheekiest name today was entitled Back to Business Casual, How Crypto is Rebuilding by Focusing on Real-World Problems. And while everyone agrees the crypto markets have cooled, Dave Olson from Jump Trading made a great point about how behind the scenes, the talent and technology development linked to crypto remains immense. So while we might see fewer glamorous crypto ads on TV, hard work is still underway within the sector to streamline the market and bring forth new use cases for digital assets. Coming up next, I'm going to be chatting with Chris Perkins from CoinFund. Chris has been in this industry a long time, and he's got a unique perspective on the recent turmoil in the banking sector and the impact it's had on the startup community. So I think you'll appreciate his insights. I'm joined now by Chris Perkins, the president of CoinFund. Chris, how you doing? Good, Sean. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, how's, how's Boca treating you so far? Uh, it's great to be back. I think this may be my, I don't know, 15th time down here. So uh, everything changes, but everything kind of stays the same, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I know, I know you've seen a lot personally. Um, you know, here we are, kind of have another little, I'll call it a mini crisis maybe going on in the banking sector. I don't think this is really elevated to the, the grand, great financial crisis levels, but um, are you seeing any similarities there? Yeah. So I had the opportunity to be at Lehman Brothers. Um and I was able to watch it go, you know, through its its slow. Um, it took weeks, frankly, for the bankruptcy to to end up happening. What strikes me so much about what we saw with SVB and Signature and Silvergate was the was the how just how fast it happened. Like where Lehman took weeks, this took a matter of hours, and that's the reality that I think regulators are going to have to deal with going forward. Is how do we capitalize banks? Um, to make sure that you know, banking fractional banking is depends on confidence, and when people are able to gal- galvanize so quickly to take out deposits and confidence is lost, gosh, how do we address that going forward? I think it's quite a challenge um, that's going to really be thought through. You know, when you, when you pivot to the crypto side, um, look, we've experienced in the last you know year and so a number of challenges, particularly with centralized entities. 
And the issues that we've seen are very similar to what we've seen traditionally in traditional finance. You know, we saw FTX go down, you know, gosh, there's so many parallels, whether, you know, we saw with, you know, Archegos, with Peregrine, um, centralized players that have issues with risk management, liquidity management, um, in certain cases, fraud, um, you know, they, whether it's crypto or whether it's traditional finance, it's the same recipe. And so one thing that we continue to think about is, hey, with the technology that we're now seeing, particularly in a decentralized finance space, maybe there are ways that we can navigate some of these challenges going forward. And we've seen a number of the DeFi, the DeFi protocols holding up very strong. What do you think uh, is, I don't want to use the word to blame, but what do you think is the reason for you know, these speedy collapses? Is it, a, is it a communications thing where, you know, people are on Twitter saying, hey, get your money out. It's just we can communicate that much faster and get the messaging around or is it something else? I think that's certainly part of it. I think um, social media has given people the ability to, you know, lose confidence much more quickly and then take action much more quickly. I mean, that coupled with, you know, a very, very interesting and difficult macro environment and, and the robustness of uh, interest rate rises, you know, left folks in, in a very similar position. Um, and so now the question is, is again, how do you address um, what we've seen like you know, via regulation? Like, you know, how do you change stress tests? How do you, you know, work? Like I believe community banks play a really important role to play. How do you, you know, in a sense, make sure that they're protected and, and regulate them. Um, but, you know, they're competing against the SIFIs, which are just massive, um, subject to different regulation. And so how do you preserve community banking while regulating it? Um, but it feels like, you know, costs are just going to go up. Is there any concern that we're just going to see what used to be called like a, a depositors, you know, like a flight to safety? Is it just going to be like a flight to size? It's a good question. And is that... Meaning they'll, meaning they'll take shelter in, you know, the JP Morgans, you know, the, the SIFIs you're talking about. Well, what I've seen over my career is that, you know, regulation, which is very important, right? And I'm, I would never be one to say that it's not. Principles-based regulation is super important. But the more robust the regulation, typically what happens is you have consolidation. Why? Because it's expensive to, to comply and, you, and it results in a lot of fixed costs. In order to stay profitable, you have to put a lot of you need you need scale to drive profitability, and that you know results typically in consolidation. We've seen this in the FCM market. Um, you know, I published a paper on this where we've gone from I forget the numbers it was like a hundred to to much less than that in, in a handful of years post Dodd Frank. And so that's something that we need to really think about is how do we continue to have diverse um, you know robust marketplaces that are not too consolidated. Um, that's the fear that I, that, that I think I have. And then getting back to the, the startup space, obviously at CoinFund, you've got your finger on the pulse of you know what's going on there. So, you know when these when these few banks started to go down, like what what were some of the biggest concerns and like how widespread is this? I mean, we we heard a lot of startups had funds there. Um, you know, I guess my question is why were they all in the same place? I mean, is it? I know obviously you know firms in the in the Bay Area that makes sense, but. You know, there's firms and other, you know, hotbeds for startups, you know, Austin, Miami, things like that. Um, was Silicon Valley Bank doing anything different that like, or is it just the name that everyone wanted to be associated with? Or were they, were they providing services to startups that no one else could? I'm just trying to wrap my mind around why a firm in Miami would want to be do business with a firm in the Bay Area. I mean, obviously, you know, some of the VC folks are right there, but is that the only reason? Uh, Silicon Valley Bank's business model is very focused on supporting young startups. 
being with them from the very beginning, having special, uh, creating special products and services to ensure that they're effective. They really understand the venture space. They also were the payroll provider for tens of thousands of jobs as well. And so you saw this unique concentration um, for that bank across the venture space. Had it not been sorted, um, I think there would have been pretty material you know, issues for our economy because I think a ton, a, a, a good part, a significant part of the tech sector would have been impacted. In my mind, not only does it hurt your economy, it's a national security imperative. You know, if you lose defense tech and, you know, the robustness of our technology, that's, you know, that's a big part of national security strategy. So in my mind, it was imperative to stabilize the situation. I think, you know, it, it's wonderful that's happened. So what did we do as, as, a, as a venture fund? Um, we immediately wanted to focus on our, on our portfolio companies. Uh, we reached out to them. We tried to open doors where we could to find them alternative bank accounts, to find them various, um, you know, places to deposit their capital. I mean, capital is the lifeblood of these startups. You know, they, they raise money, they build and they raise money again. It's, it's not easy for them. Uh, and the thought of having to, to lose that precious capital that they work so hard to get from venture funds would have been devastating. So we worked hard to come up with ways for them to preserve their capital, opening up doors, um, finding different partners, traditional finance and beyond, just to stabilize the situation. And um, I feel like we, you know, we try to differentiate in our ability to support. Um, so went very robustly, methodically through our portfolio, identified who was exposed, um, how much capital that, that was exposed, and how we could help. That sounds like a quite a task to do in just a matter of hours. <laughs> it was, uh, I'm telling you, it, it like it went down in like 36 hours, and um, and people were, pe- pe- it, w- it was a very very difficult situation. Uh, it was a long weekend, but um, now th- things are starting to clear, and uh, we'll see where we go from here. I got gotcha. you. So bringing things back to here at Boca and this conference, um, what are some of the key takeaways you have, or any insights you've heard from some of the speakers or panels that? Yeah. So last year it was all about crypto, right? This year, the crypto presence is not as robust. Uh, just got back from one of the panels, right? And it was like, uh, I don't know, it was like, I don't know, 30% filled in the room. Last year, oversubscribed. Um, to me, that's very bullish, actually, uh, because a lot of the tourists are gone and the building is happening. And, you know, in, in markets, we, we buy low and we sell high. And so now is the time where true value will be found and created. And uh, I think personally that that's a very bullish signal. Really, the, the fact that, you know, I think it was uh, Dave Olson was saying something about how, like, the talent still remains in a lot of these firms. 100%. I mean, yeah, some of them that shuttered, okay, but they just went elsewhere. And the talent development and the technologies they're working on for, for different use cases and things like that is, is still flourishing. It's just there's not as many, you know, sexy TV ads like we were talking about. 100%, right? So we, we have a saying that bear markets are time for building. And, you know, these crazy bull market cycles, people are out there raising capital, there's so many distractions. Our builders, our true builders are building and you're seeing value come out. And I'm telling you, I've been around for a long time, that the smartest, some of the smartest people I've ever seen are in this space building the next generation of the internet. Um, you know, yesterday, every morning I wake up and we speak to founders. I just got off a call with one yesterday. We talking to a founding team that's looking at the intersection of blockchain and, and AI. Like these are two fundamental technologies that are going to change the way we live. Um, and to see the building that's going on, you know, without that kind of distraction, is uh, you're going to see you're going to see the the benefits of that here in a you know in in, a, in the very near future, and then we'll be back to a bull run. Um, 
and uh, we'll take it from there. But I'm telling you, the world as we know it is about to change materially. Um, the technology that we're seeing come into effect will it will change our lives as we know it. Well, it sounds like uh, maybe maybe not next year you're saying, but maybe in a couple of years we That's might right. have uh, the, the froth back at, at Boca and, and some of these new technologies are a little farther along. Great. Well, hey, Chris, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for your time. Thanks. Good to see you. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And be sure to follow us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Modern Money Pod. And if you'd like a daily dose of Modern Money news delivered to your inbox, head on over to SmartBrief.com and sign up for the Modern Money Smart Brief. The Modern Money Smart Pod is a production of SmartBrief, a future company.